by unanimous vote. Everybody, I had a message earlier this morning, and Becky helped me, and everybody said, you should let her do more of it. That's what they said to me. So I'm going to let her do more of it this time. First, I want to share a couple of things with you. I really encourage you if you really want to be encouraged. Okay, if you don't want to be encouraged, then you can just be discouraged. That's <laughs> your choices, one or the other. But uh, Friday night, we just had a tremendous meeting uh, at Cornelius, and I want to share this brief testimony uh, with Bob Jones, and he, uh, he had this experience with uh, where this uh, angel visited him and spoke to him, and the angel uh, told him his name, and the name of the angel was Breakthrough, and the angel said, you can find me in the Bible, and he gave him several places in the Bible where this angel appeared. One of them, which I thought was cool, was uh, he said... In the in the Bible, when David, uh, when the Lord told, when David was was pursuing his enemies, he said, uh, when the heard when they heard the rustling in the top of the mulberry trees, uh, you know, you're to attack. And it says the Lord gave him a great breakthrough that day. And uh, that angel said, that was me, who who rustled those mulberry trees. Um, but this angel um, told Bob about. Tremendous move of God that's coming to the United States. Tremendous outpouring of God for, for salvation and miracles. And told him there would be three specific locations where this would take place at, but he didn't tell him where those three places were. Um, so, um, but this is some interesting, and he told him some other stuff. Um, first, there was 11 other angels with him, and he said those 11 angels all appeared to be very common. You couldn't tell them from... Fran McCarran. And uh, so one of the things he felt like the angel was showing him that when the, the people the Lord really wants to use is common people. And I say, you see, that's where we get in on the deal at. The Lord wants to use us. Common people. You don't have to be anything special or anything like that. You just have to believe stuff like this. You just have to have faith and believe and, and join yourself to what God's doing. Another interesting thing about this experience he sh that really was intriguing to me was um, there's a man in Nigeria. Can you fix the echo? There was a man in Nigeria named uh, Benson Adahosa, and he was a pastor in Nigeria, a Nigerian pastor who, uh, who had a, an encounter with this same angel years ago. And this angel directed him of where to go and preach the gospel. And wherever he would go and preach God, he had tremendous success, this man did, in that nation. Really brought revival to the nation of Nigeria. And if you know anything about Nigeria, it's a needy place. still is, but there's been a tremendous move of God in Nigeria over the past 10 to 15 years. Lots of people brought into the kingdom. Lots of miraculous things that happen in that nation on a regular basis. And it really started with this man, Benson Adahosa. Uh, and he this angel was, was really helping him, speaking to him and telling him where to go and helping him in, in situations there. Uh, also, a man named Reinhard Bonke, which is, he's a, uh, a, an evangelist, this angel appeared to him also and spoke to him about where to go, and he actually went and preached a crusade where there was a million people present at this crusade. And, you know, literally hundreds of thousands of people were saved and healed at this crusade. Um, the great thing about it is, is this angel, Benson Idahoza was an older man. He died in 1998. Before he died, he 
um, this angel told him that he was coming to the United States. That's what he told him. And some, so Benson knew some people in America, and one of the people were Chuck Pierce, which some of you know who Chuck Pierce is. Chuck Pierce knew about this angel, and some other people did. But Bob didn't know anything about it. He didn't know who Benson Idaho was or knew nothing about any of this. I mean, he was totally, this was a surprise to him when he found out about that part of it. Uh, but he um, told a friend, Bob told a friend of his named Paul Keith Davis, who knew about this angel because he's a friend of Chuck Pierce. This that they knew they they said this is the first time you're the first person this as far as we know you're the first person this angel's appeared to since Benson Idahosa and has you know revealed yourself to him. So really, what the Lord really is trying to do, I think, prepare our nation for a move of God. Okay? And that's really something we need to really ask ourselves. Now, I feel like this. I don't care, you know, if people are skeptical about stuff like this because really that being skeptical stuff just doesn't pay off, you know. It really doesn't. It doesn't get you anywhere. You need to open your heart up to the Lord even if you don't believe these kind of things can happen. Uh, but I tend to have found being skeptical got me to zero places in God. You know what I'm saying? But I think, you know, Henry Blackaby uh, teaches a course called Experiencing God. And one of the things that he says is this. He says when God reveals to you what he wants to do, it is an invitation to you personally to join him in what he's doing. It's a, it's a personal invitation from God to join him in what he's going to do. And, of course, he goes through other things. There's going to be a crisis of faith. There's going to be things you, you're going to have to, to deal with in your own life to be with God in what God is doing. So this morning I want to give you the opportunity to uh, respond to the Lord because I feel like God is revealing this. this is, he wants to move in our nation. He wants to, he wants to bring about the kingdom of God into the United States of America. He wants to bring salvation to the lost. He wants to do all things that salvation really means. He wants healing, deliverance, miracles, all the things that it really stands for. So I wanted to give us an opportunity this morning. If you feel in your heart you would like to be a part of what God wants to do, okay, in this nation, I would like for you to stand up and pray with me that you are at, you're, you're agreeing with God. Now, if you don't feel this, you don't have to stand up and just know, saying, let God be the one who convinces your heart. But we just want to ask the Holy Spirit, Father, in Jesus' name, we come to you this morning. Lord, I believe you are revealing to us secrets that are in your heart. And you're looking for people to hear these secrets and who are embrace them. And Lord, we're saying today we want to embrace what you're doing. We want to be a part of a revival, a spiritual awakening in our nation. And we're asking you, Lord, to allow us to join you. Lord, we're asking you. We're asking you to speak to each one of us individually. We ask you to speak to our church corporately to show us the things we need to do to join you to be a part of what are you doing. Lord, if there's agendas that we have, if there's things in our life that you would like to remove that are going to hinder us, we pray you begin to speak to us and show us those things, Lord. But Lord, we present ourselves to you as living sacrifices this morning, holy and acceptable unto you, Lord Jesus, for you to use us as you choose, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So that's, that's just a... I'm so excited about that that it's just... It's just incredible what God wants to do. And I, I'm just really pleased to be able to share that kind of thing. Um, so 
this is something tremendous that happened to me, just to encourage you, is last week Emerson Manning, which y'all know, most of y'all who know Emerson know Emerson not to be some, uh, he's a, sort of a reserved kind of laid-back guy, but he gave me a prophetic word last week. And basically he, he was, you know, Emerson gets an emotional and starts crying on you. <laughs> really, he was a hard, he was just moved by the Lord and, and prayed for me and really prayed that the Lord would give me wisdom, Okay. And uh, I, yeah, I need wisdom. <laughs> I mean, I'm in on that prayer. That's got to be God. But I had a dream. Um, he prayed for me that last night. I had a dream Friday night, and a man, a friend of mine, walked up to me and handed me a, a silver key. And I took the key. I looked at it. It was a beautiful key, and just stuck it in my in my shirt pocket. And um, and I, I sort of understand, you know, what that key represents. But, but really, what it really represents is is wisdom. Because the Bible in Proverbs 2 says that. You know, if you seek her as silver, talking about wisdom. And if you hide wisdom in your heart, you know, put in your shirt pocket. And I felt like the Lord was really, really beginning to release wisdom to me. But here's the thing about the wisdom of God, 1 Corinthians 3. The wisdom of God is foolishness to man. Okay? So the wisdom of God is not like something that everybody's going to like, and it's going to, and even your own natural self is going to like. Oh my gosh, can this can this be real? Can this be right? You hear what I'm saying to you? And so when we receive the wisdom of the Lord, we're receiving something the Bible says from the carnal man is foolishness to him. And see, a lot of times when God begins to speak to you, like oh, this guy has this experience with an angel, well, that seems foolish. Your carnal man would say that. But it's not. That's the wisdom of God. And what we have to do, we have to receive it. Just, that's all we've got to do is just receive it. If we'll receive it, then the wisdom of God begins to operate in our life, and, and, and God's wisdom proves itself in the end. You hear what I'm saying to you? So what I want to encourage you is this morning about receiving the wisdom of God. Because, see, here's the way I feel about it. Freely you have received, freely give. Okay? That's the way I look at things. If God gives me something, it's mine. And I have the right to do with what's mine, whatever I want. And I know this to be the truth. If I will give away what God gives me, all I do is keep that door wider open to get more. And I'm into getting more from God. So, you know, at the end of the day, I want to pray for people for wisdom, okay? If you want to receive the wisdom of God, just receive it. But remember, because the Lord had to tell me this, Byron... The wisdom of God is foolishness to man. So don't think it's going to be always well-received. Amen? So uh, I'm just going to share just a couple minutes and then give Becky the opportunity. Because, and like I said, in unanimous decision was you should let Becky say more. <laughs> so I will do that. But I want to just sort of get us kicked off. You know, anytime... You, here's some subjects that you can really get on dangerous ground talking about. One is prayer. One is worship. One is fasting. One is giving of your finances. Okay? One is serving God. Anytime you talk about those things, you, people get all nervous, you know, especially about money for some reason. And the reason they do is because we can, we can be legalistic about those things. We can present them in a fussy, negative way. And make put, and put a yoke on people that they sh- they don't ha- need to have on them, okay. But nevertheless, the Bible is very clear about all these things. The Bible clearly addresses all those things. That those things are something that's in the Bible that God wants us to know about and wants us to know His perspective on. 
And as we hear His perspective, what we do is we choose His perspective. We don't have to do any of this stuff. Um, so on the subject of prayer, you know, we've been going through the, the, the uh, what they call the Lord's Prayer. Uh, in Matthew 6, 9, it says, uh, In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And so um, I wanted to say this thing about this prayer. And I want you to get this. This applies to this prayer, and I believe it ultimately applies to all prayer. Prayer is not a means by which we get something for ourselves. Much to our surprise, right? Prayer is not a means by which we get something for ourselves. Okay? But rather a means of helping God. Let's say helping God get something for himself. Now let me just show you this. You know, when my son was three years old, he wanted to help me do things. Okay? You know, like he wanted me to, he wanted to help, like if I had to clean the table off, which I somehow know I had to do that. I don't know why, but that's always considered to be a woman's job. But somehow I'm always cleaning the table. Anyway, that goes, so wives, you can tell your husband, you should clean the table. Well, my three-year-old son wanted to help me clean the table. Now, can a three-year-old child really help you? No. Can we help God? Are we just, you know, but it is God's way of allowing his Dear children that he loves, join him in what he's doing because he just loves being around us, wants us to be involved in what he's doing. And 98% of the time, we're making a huge mess of what he's doing. He's sort of going behind us. Okay, it's okay. I'm, I'm happy with you. I'm cleaning up your little messes that you're making while you're helping me. But I just so enjoy that you want to be with me and be a part of what I'm doing that I want you to help me. So I'm going to teach you how to pray so you... You can know that you're involved with my work with me. And that's really, that's really a, a way that God wants us to do. He, want, he wants us to participate with Him in His business on this earth. He's chosen to give it to us. Okay? He's chosen to do that. So in this prayer, it's really key that we understand these things. Number one, I think it's so key, and we've talked about this, that we all have a revelation of the Father's heart. That's number one. That God is our personal, loving Father. And that must be a reality in the Christian's life. If it is not a reality in your life that you have some level of revelation on the Father heart of God, then you, I'll be honest with you, the rest of your Christianity is going to be struggling and messed up. You're going to struggle. You're going to strive. You're going to wind up in legalism. Okay? Because you don't really understand the Father's heart. So it's important that you receive a revelation of that and continue to receive it. It's not a one-time event. It's something that's ongoing in our lives that God builds on and develops in us as we go. Is that we gain more and more of the knowledge that we have a, a, a daddy in heaven. He's our daddy. And that, that's why the Bible says he sent forth the spirit of his son, causing us to cry out, Abba, Father. It's one of the works of the Holy Spirit. It's something he specifically is always at work doing in our life, making Abba, making him daddy to us. All right, the other thing is this thing called... He's, he's a heavenly Father. He's a spiritual Father. Okay? We're seated with Christ in the heavenly places. It's critical that we understand that perspective. Most Christians live from the natural perspective. They don't live from the spiritual perspective. They don't see from heaven. Therefore, they're stuck living from this world. They don't see that they have the Father's DNA in them. And they don't live from that DNA. You got what I'm saying to you? And because you don't live from that DNA, you're not spiritual. You're carnal. That's what the Bible says. In Corinthians, it says there are three kinds of Christians. 
Number one, there's unsaved Christians. Number two, there's carnal Christians. And number three, there's spiritual people. And you had to decide for yourself which one of these, those you fit into this morning. That, that's really what the Bible says. There are only three kind of people in the whole world. Saved, carnal Christians, saved spiritual Christians, and unsaved people. First Corinthians, read First Corinthians 2, chapter 2 and chapter 3. That's what it, what, what it teaches us. So we've been called to be spiritual. We've been called to have this revelation that we are spiritual beings living a temporary, earthly life. We're not earthly people having every once in a while a spiritual experience. And that's what's wrong with some of you. You're looking for an occasional spiritual experience. Okay? Stop that. Stop trying to do that. Start being spiritual and, and realize you're just having to live in this earth suit, somebody called it. You know? Like a space suit. Well, we're living in an earth suit, but we're spiritual on the inside. So, all right, so those two are important. The third thing you've got to see this is we are created to be worshipers. Okay? You're created to be a worshiper. And when a man does what he's created to do, the rest of his life works. That's why they say there's very few people in the world who have jobs that they really that it really something it does something for them. They're miserable. They're dead. They're like robots because they're going to work like robots every day because they weren't created to do what they're doing. Therefore, the rest of their life they come home, snap at their wife, they drink, they have affairs, trying you know because they're all messed up. Because they're not living and doing what they're supposed to do with their life. Well, really, this is the truth. We are all created to be worshipers. And when we become worshipers, we're, we're, we're what we're supposed to be. And because we're what we're supposed to be, the rest of our life will begin to come into proper alignment. Are you all with me? We're called to be worshipers. We're created to be worshipers. That's who God made us to be. And when we're not worshipers, our lives will not be right. They will be off. There will be something off in your life that will plague you to, to no end. And your life will not work. That's what's wrong with some of you this, this, this morning. Some of you, you haven't seen that you're a worshiper. But here's, how do you become a true worshiper? Put, put John 4, 23 through 24 up there. Are you all with me so far? Because we're talking about worship. Just guess what? We're talking about worship. But the hour is coming, and now is when true worshipers, okay, true worshipers, that's what God's looking for, We'll worship who? The Father. All right, you got that little, little hint there? So that's the, this is the first thing on how to become a true worshiper. You've got to have a revelation of what? The Father heart of God. Okay? Okay, let me say it one more time. God created you to be a worshiper. Your life is going to be, be work right if you're worshiping, if you're, if you're a worshiper. That's important. That's key. So you should say, duh, how do I become a true worshiper? I need to know that. That's important for me. If that's going to make my life right, if that's going to make my marriage right, if that's going to do things for me, I need to know this. Well, that's what it says. You've got to have this father revelation. Okay? This fatherhood. It says, All right, thou art coming when now, and now it's when the true worshipers will worship the Father where? In spirit. Okay, notice the word spirit. Now, notice the S on the word spirit up there. Look at it. Small S, meaning not Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's big S. That's little s. Okay? That's the second part. We're seated together with Christ in the heavenly places. In other words, you've got to have a revelation of the spiritual realm. You've got to see yourself 
spiritually. Does that make sense? You've got to see that I'm seated with Christ. That's where I am. That's who I am. That has to be a reality in your life. Lord, make that real to me. That I'm seated with Jesus Christ. I'm with Him. I'm right with the Father. And out of that becomes, becomes worship, true worship. That's how it, flow, it flows. Then your life is flowing. It's, you're not trying to force something. You're not trying to create something. You're not trying to make something. You hear what I'm saying to you this morning? Any of y'all believe this? A couple of people do. Yeah. <laughs> so let me just read one thing that Francis Frangipane said. It said, Consider in our world of terrors, pressures, and trauma, our only place of safety exists in the living presence of God. That, that's cool. The only... Hey, I'm in on that. Okay? We must not accept a religion about God instead of the presence of God. We must not accept a religion about God. See, that's what's wrong with people. They have a religion about God. And don't, it's not the presence of God. That's not, that's not acceptable. If we would truly dwell in the divine presence, one thing, perhaps above all others, will take us there. We must become true worshipers. That will take you in the divine presence. It will... Let, let's, let me put it to you like this, just so you, you won't pick, pick on me about words. It will make the reality that you are where you're at real in your consciousness. Because, see, most of us are not consciously aware that we're seated with Jesus Christ, that we're already in the divine presence. But the Bible says we are. And our consciousness needs to be awakened to that fact. Okay? And that's what I'm talking about. That's, that's really what he was trying to say. It'll take us there. Well, we're already there. We just need to be, we need a reality that we're there. It needs to be real to us, not just, not just words on a page of the Bible. It's got to become a reality in your life. I'm there! And because you're there, you can see what's happening there. You know, things are happening. Worship is happening. And uh, that's really great. Well, one thing that happened a few years ago um, is we had a good friend of ours who was a worship leader who was blind and so he was just this guy who didn't have anything to do with his life he was blind and he had kidney failure He's, his whole body he was a diabetic from a child you know so what happens to a person he was dying so we became our friends and part of being a friend with him was talking to him every day for at least an hour on the phone he would call me because he didn't have anything he was bored and he, so he'd call me and talk to me and uh um, so we built this relationship with him you know I did through talking on the phone with him every day just loving on him that was my ministry at one point for months just having an hour long conversation every day with this guy but he had a really tremendous anointing on, on him and he died just went on to be with the Lord and then after he died, not long after that, is Becky had this dream and about him. He came to her in this dream, which I really, like I was saying, I really, really believe this really did happen. Every day it was in a dream, but it was a real dream. And she was there. This was in the spirit realm. She was there. And this man that was dead came to her and put his hands on her and started praying for her in this heavenly language. Okay? 
and she, you know, immediately fell down, you know, getting, people don't believe slain the spirit until you get to heaven, everybody's falling all the time. They can't stand in the presence of God, you know. That's what really happens, but she was, you know, knocked out in the Lord, and but she received an impartation, okay. So there you go. That's the wisdom of God right there, what I just shared with you, okay. That's the wisdom of God. That's what's real. You hear what I'm saying to you? Those spiritual experiences, those are real. They're more real than this. So I want to beg you to come up and share some, some stuff. Everybody said it was better than what I was sharing, so maybe she needs to come on up and talk, talk about a few things about, about worship. Chew. Um, yeah, that did happen to me. It was really... Actually, he didn't say this, but I remember telling Byron in that dream, I felt like I was in a heavenly place. It was like a forest. And um, this guy came up to me with his sight and totally healthy. And it was it was really a very powerful dream. And, um, you know, I, Jeff was actually one that had helped me uh, get into playing the guitar and leading worship back in real early days. And, you know, after he passed on, it was kind of, he, he played a Martin which later the Lord gave me a Martin, which was uh, really something. So it was just, it was really neat what happened during that time. But I just wanted to share with you this morning just some things that the Lord has put in me about worship. And I really have actually never talked to this church about worship, I realized. And I don't, Byron and I have really not ever talked too much about it. Um, so it's, it's neat to have the opportunity to do that. So. Uh, one thing I just want to talk, what I'm going to let you know, I really want to talk mostly about the worship when we're together. Um, I think everybody knows that we do have individual worship at home and stuff, but really what I want to talk about is what we do together and, and why we do it. And I'll, it's almost like I really feel, have felt a sense lately of just a really a reset button and a revisioning of, of worship and really pressing in um you know we uh, many of us came from the jesus movement where worship really the as we know it now was birthed and um i remember the first time i ever walked into a place where there was worship going on i was 16 years old and i'd been raised in the baptist church with hymns and all but uh, you know, and then when I walked into this Assembly of God church where there that had actually been birthed in the Jesus movement, it was not even a typical Assembly of God church because these are mainly young people that had gotten saved in the Jesus movement, and this church formed over it. And um, and I remember walking in, and and they were, you know, there was worship. There was courses where people were actually singing to the Lord, and. I, I'm, I don't know, the, the first moment I walked in, I was just smitten with worship. And I really believe it had the worship that was going on in that church actually made a difference in the course of my life. Because I'd been raised where you went up and got saved every Sunday and would fall away and something about that worship. And really having that encounter with the Lord during worship really changed the course of my life. So um, worship is something very real me and so one thing that scripture our father in heaven I want to say that the word that I want to point out is our 
in that prayer. You know, it really is a us thing. I think when we, there really is a thing where the Lord looks at us as a our instead of just me. And so that's really why I wanted to, to think about about worship on that level. And um, <clears throat> also the thing about being seated with Christ in heavenly places. Um, one thing in my vision about worship, of what we do here on Sunday, is is really uh, reaching heaven with what we do in worship. I, I really believe that when we come together, what we do does matter because we can join in with heaven here. I believe that. I believe that, for me, is a goal. It's, you know, um, what we do on the stage as far as worship leaders... We bring, we get songs together, and we want it to sound good. We want it to be good, but our thing is really not performing or just being good. It's really we're here to get a hold of heaven, because there is such a difference in the room when we do and when we don't. And I think we all know when we do, when we get a hold of heaven, and when we don't. And so I just want us to know when we come. Let's come and realize that we're coming to join with heaven. In Revelations 4.1, you can really see in that whole chapter what's going on in heaven is this. We have living creatures around the throne of God. We've got the 24 elders. We've got voices of many angels. And we've got voices of ten thousands upon ten thousands upon ten thousands worshiping. And I believe when we come together... And the the part that we play here, when we actually access heaven, you know, there's just nothing like that for me. That's what I want to do. I mean, it's I don't really care how we get there. I don't, you know, ultimately, if no matter how good this sounds up here, that will not get us to heaven. That will not get us accessing what's going on there. And really, that's that's really my heart. And and I just want to encourage you guys because, you know. I really look at what we do as sort of like a symphony. You know, and I, if any of you have ever been to a symphony, all these different instruments are playing, I, I think it's just awesome because this melodies that come out of all these different uh, musical instruments being played at one time with the most harmonious blend, it is just beautiful. It, it, and when I sit there, I think of worship because what I see uh, compared to that is we come here and the Lord plays our hearts. And our hearts rise to the Lord. And I believe we are way more beautiful of a symphony than anything musically could ever bring when, when the Lord is playing our hearts and we bring that to Him. And I really see us that way. So I believe it really is important for what we bring to the Lord. And And sometimes I think we sit there and think, well, it doesn't really matter you know what's going on with me but it really does because we all bring our part you know and we all have our heart that we're playing to the Lord and whatever way that gets expressed and um, you know not and, and I just wanted to say there are different ways we express we lift our hands we clap our hands we shout we you know there are different things that are going on in the sanctuary as the Psalms call it you know, David called it coming to the sanctuary. And, you know, and so we, you know, there are things going on. And I believe what really happens when we're all playing our part is, 
you know, and we're touching heaven, I, I, do y'all know what I mean when you feel the commotion of heaven released in the room? Oh, man. And, you know, that's when things happen, you know. And we, you know, this morning we talked about, you know, I want to encourage you to do your part, but I also this morning want to tell you the benefits of worship. Because I believe if we can really see the benefits of what we do, it, it really will encourage us. It, it just really will. So, um, But just encourage us in the sanctuary. That's my, it's just to encourage us. And we're here, we're in the sanctuary, a place of refuge. And um, so, you know, and I don't know that there's anybody here that may not understand, you know, everything that you see here of singing and dance and clapping, but it's all in the Psalms. And I, I say this, I don't believe the psalm, David decided what was appropriate for worship when, he was, when all that stuff was written and all those worship leaders wrote about what was going on in the worship in that sanctuary at that time. I believe it was expression that just came out of them, that was already in them from the Lord. So this is not like some law of things we have to do in worship, but they're just expressions that come out of us. Because the Lord is in us, and there's this expression of worship. We're worshipers that just come out that are also biblical. You know, they are biblical. We're not doing anything that's not biblical in here. In fact, just sitting and being quiet is not really mentioned that much in Scripture at all in the sanctuary of what most of us have come up in. So... When you feel this thing of persecution that rises at us about what we do in worship, because I know we get a lot of it, you know, this is really the way you can live. We're not doing anything outside of the bounds of Scripture here. We're just expressing what God's put in us. Um, so <clears throat> I wanted to, um, from this part, I just wanted to tell you that I want to give you some benefits of worship that I feel like the Lord has really... I just I got to really go through the Psalms this week because I love David. I, I love his heart. I love his heart for worship. I love his passion for God. And I really just, you know, really just went through almost every Psalms just looking at, at his heart of worship. And it really was quite surprising to me to really, I, I really, what I'm giving you is a scratch. I couldn't even, there's, it's vast, the benefits of worship just vast. And Byron and I were talking this week, after I, I um, had this week, last, last week we were actually supposed to do this and it, it didn't work out, but I was really glad because, um, you know, last week I think my mindset is I'm going to come in here and I'm going to, you know, we're going to, we worship God. This is our place. This is what we do. This is about, you know, go on and tell what we need to be doing. But I realized after going through and realizing the benefits of worship that the, it's like what Byron did. He said that this morning it was really good that the Lord, you know, we come before him. He wants us to worship him because he knows that he is the source of all life. And when we, we come and set our affections on him, he, it's a realignment is one thing that's going on with us. There's a realignment of who he is. And he knows we're the source of all life. And it's like as we gaze upon him, 
then the benefits start coming back to us because it's like a, a father. You just only want to give your children things. You, you know, his heart is so to give us, give to us. So, but I want to just give you some of these that I thought were really, really awesome. First of all, when we come in together, realizing that we are, it's a priestly function. You know that we we come and um, bring a priestly function to the Lord and. We bring and put things on the altar to him to burn. And um, this is, let me back up here for a minute. That This is not my benefit, so I'm going to do the, um, finish this little part here. That As we bring, come in a priestly function, we are actually placing things on the altar when we come here. And I believe as we give things to the Lord, that's where the real fire gets released in us. You know, it's just coming to him. And, um, you know, and this was the other thing, too, is, um, you know, we're living sacrifices. We're living sacrifices. When we bring a sacrifice to the Lord, it's not a dead thing. We're actually a living sacrifice. And um, God, like Byron said this morning, is seeking worshipers. And have you ever thought, I know Byron gave some clues, but why he is seeking worshipers? And one thing that we could really consider, there's actually two, but the one thing is consider that a third of the angels fell from heaven who were worshipers with Satan. And, you know, there's a void there, so we actually fill that void. We're actually, as the people of God, can fill that void, but I don't believe that is the highest reason. I believe the highest reason God is looking for worshipers in us is because we... We sing the songs of redemption. We bring the songs of redemption. And nobody else can do that. We are singing that salvation song to him. And um, another reason why we worship is, I believe that in the last days the Bible says that the tabernacle of David is being restored and raised up. And David, you know, again, his passion for worship he, he pitched a tent in his backyard and worshiped the Lord all the time. And the Lord is actually raising that up again. And I believe that is another reason why we do this, is we are entering in with the Lord and his last day's call of raising up this tabernacle of David. Another thing I really see is the key of David. Um, there is a scripture in Revelation 3 that talks about the key of David. It is where God is speaking to one of the churches there, and he talks about the key of David. And I believe this key of David has a a lot to do with worship and his passion for God. But the thing I think that's interesting about it is you see open doors in this. That, That key will open doors to heavenly places, I believe. I believe worship does that. Don't you all believe that? Don't you sense that? And and when we really are getting a hold of the Lord like that and um, so I, I just think that those are really reasons why we come into this but I want to t- talk about now the benefits of worship and I'm just going to go straight through these They're, um, these are really good good um, things for us to chew on where, where the Psalms talk so much about the sanctuary I believe the sanctuary first of all when we come together is a place of refuge and there's safety here for us there's real safety here for us. 
uh, that Psalms 133, how good and pleasant it is when brethren, brethren dwell together in unity. There's a real unity released um, in, in worship. So that's Psalms 133. That's the second thing. Then there's the aligning ourselves with the truth of God. Psalm 73 says this. This is I love this one. This really, this really spoke to me because I've seen this happen in my own heart. Uh, when I come together to with you guys to worship, there's a lot of times I come in here really messed up, really messed up. And um, but I set my heart to worship because. I know there's something about that, that worshiping the Lord in the face of difficulty, that it does for me. I know that. And just to find the scripture was really good. It says this in Psalm 73, David was talking about, he got into this line of thinking that he he saw the wicked man prosper more than the righteous. And he goes on and on where he sees this and he sees that. But I love this. He, He says this, my foot had almost slipped until I came into the sanctuary and then I understood. You see, he gets his thinking lined up right. He's aligning it with what's really real and the truth. And I I really love that. And this week, um, I was reading, this is something else that really spoke to me. Um, I've been reading this book about um, this man who wrote a, a book about the prodigal son based on Rembrandt's painting. And he's actually going through the book and sees himself from three different perspectives in the book. One is the father, one's the elder brother, and one is the prodigal. And one thing he said about the prodigal was this uh, that really blessed me. He says he, he sees that every time he goes to the world to get satisfied by something, he has then become a prodigal again in his heart because he goes and tries to get something that the world really can't didn't get, give him. And this was interesting, I think, that he believes that's where the root of addictions are even, is we keep trying to go get satisfied by something that only God can give us. And the world will never satisfy it, so we keep going and going and going. And so I see even our prodigal hearts that are prone to wonder. When we come into the sanctuary, that aligning ourselves with who the Lord is, he's our Father, you know, coming that we can come home to the Father, you know, and and really get aligned again in our hearts and get that truth uh, operating in us. Psalm sixty-eight thirty-five says this: We get power and strength in the sanctuary. You are awesome, O God, in your sanctuary. The God of Israel gives power to his and strength to his people. Psalms 1 through 5, we find answers and help in time of trouble. May the Lord answer you when you're in distress, and may the name of our God of Jacob protect, and may he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. How many of you have come in here on Sunday and found help and answers by worshiping? I have. I have. And um, Psalms 27.5 says this, Safety in the day of trouble. For in the day of trouble he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me upon a high rock. Wow. Um, This is a really good one. Psalm 31.20, Hidden from accusation. 
It says this, In the shelter of your presence you hide them from the intrigues of men, and in your dwelling place you keep them safe from accusing tongues. And who is the accuser of the brethren? So we actually find safety from the accuser of the brethren, Satan himself, and even those accusing tongues that come through people around us. There's safety in that place from that, hidden from it. We don't have to feel the effects. These are benefits that really come from being in a sanctuary. And this is a good one. We get fresh filling. Um, Psalms 36, 8, we feast on the abundance of your house. We drink from the rivers of your delight. Um, and blessed are those, this is Psalm 65, 4, blessed are those who choose and bring them near to live in your courts where we are filled with the good things of your house. Love that. And then this is another one, Psalms 92.12 goes through all this where there's flourishing and growth and fruit that comes from being in a sanctuary. Um, it says this, that the righteous will flourish like a palm. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon planted in the house of the Lord. And it, will, it goes on with many benefits in that. And this is another really good one, Psalm 60. This one, God speaks from his sanctuary. God has spoken from his sanctuary. How many of you feel the Lord speak to you? I mean, how many times has the Lord spoken to you in this place? I mean, I can just be worshiping and all of a sudden I hear the voice of the Lord. I mean, and man, it's... And I'm not, I mean, I've gotten so many really revelational things right here in worship. Just the Lord just set some thinking clear. Just that aligning that comes from really being together and in worship. It's powerful. We don't really realize what is happening. We don't really realize how powerful what is happening here when we come together in worship. And um, Psalms 26.8, power and glory. We experience this power and glory in worship. And um, this is, I love this. David said, I love the house where you live, O Lord, where your glory dwells. Isn't that awesome? The glory of the Lord. And um, this is, and then warfare, Psalms 149.6, we see warfare in the sanctuary. This psalm begins with praising God in the great assembly. And may the praise of God be in our mouths and a double-edged sword in their mouths. I, you know, to avenge, it says to inflict vengeance on the nations, and I just really believe that, believe that is the demonic thing that has taken hold of nations. So even in this place, there's warfare that goes on for nations. Isn't that amazing? That we can be in this place, in the heavenly realm, warring over nations. I mean, warring over nations where battles are being fought in the heaven. We, we actually come in with worship. It, it, it's just really amazing to think about. I love this psalm because it ends with this thing about warfare. This is the glory of all the saints. Isn't that amazing? It's the glory of all the saints. So here's another benefit that I really love of Psalms 102:18, And this is for the next generation. He says, David says, Let this be written for a future generation that a people not yet created will give you praise. Wow. We are perpetuating from generation to generation worship. 
on into eternity. It's like what Byron said this morning. There won't be prophesying in heaven. There won't be preaching in heaven. There won't be any of the, All those gifts are going to go, but what will be going on in heaven? Worship. Awesome. Awesome. And the thing that I love, you know, we have lots of children in this church, but really, I think the thing we probably really will impart to them the most is this thing of worship. Of From generation to generation, we proclaim worship. And in this same, um, this same verse, he talks about also the release of prisoners. Uh, they, the Lord looked down from his sanctuary on high to hear the groans of prisoners and release those condemned to die. I believe there's, you know, how many times have non-believers even been in worship and they were touched by God and, and came to know the Lord? I know, I know quite a few people in this congregation that came in here and in worship the Lord, they realized they didn't know the Lord and came to know the Lord. Prisoners. Isn't that awesome? Getting free. And this is my personal favorite. Um, and it's the last one I'm going to talk about. It's Psalms 27.4. It's David again. He says, One thing I've asked and that I will seek is that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. And this is it. To see his beauty. To gaze upon his beauty. And of all the things, I, I just um, I know that when we're here, that the Lord really releases so much of who He is to us, and the Lord is beautiful. He everything you see in the earth, He created. How when you look out there and you see the sun, it's beautiful. You see the flowers, it's beautiful. You see, you know, trees, stars. You see beautiful people. You see. You know, he is the author of beauty. He is, and, and that beauty is the one thing that David wanted to, to, of all the things he could have asked for, was to gaze on his beauty. Because somehow that beauty transforms us. Somehow as we, as we look upon the Lord in worship and we all his attributes, you know, they're all enveloped in his beauty. And I, I know Susie Wills wrote a song that I love, that is, and it's actually from Revelation where it's talking about the elders worshiping him and the, 20, and the beast and all that. And as they're bowing before him, every time they arise, they see a new attribute of the Lord, and they bow and worship again. And every time they come again, he... They see another attribute and they worship and bow. Every, I mean, can you imagine? This is going on for eternity. We will never get to the end of the attributes of the Lord. Ever. Ever. And so no wonder David had it in his heart. The one thing he desired was to gaze upon the Lord's beauty. And, um, you know, you know I, I, don't, I think that's really... We won't ever be bored... Because we can never get to the end of who he is. Never get to the end of who he is. And um, so I just want to, and those are the things I was feeling I wanted to encourage you guys with. That was good, wasn't it? Yeah. So um, let me just share this other little thing here to how we're going to close. All right, first of all, the breath of God. All right, this is in Song of Solomon's chapter 8. Under the apple tree I roused you, okay? That's what God's breath is 
uh, smells like is apples, like apples of gold and settings of silver. So it was a word fitly spoken. Several young people in this room know that scripture way off. Keep telling that. But under the apple tree I roused you. And we, God's breath is upon us. That's how we are, we are aroused. Um, so really, there's, we need our hearts aroused by that, by his breath, which is, which is the spirit, the Holy Spirit. Amen? Are you all with me on that? So the next time you smell apples somewhere and there's not apples around, you know, the Lord's near. I'm just trying to give you a little hint here. He's trying to, to speak to you. But uh, what we want to do is uh, Friday night, um, I was sitting there with, with Bob Jones sitting beside me. He, I thought he was doing worship. I thought he was reaching down to pick up something he dropped. Uh, and he reached down and got it. And then he said, I haven't seen one of these in around in a while. Did you see it? And it was a feather. I said, no, I didn't know. He said, you know what that means? I said, well, not really. <laughs> you know, I don't know what feathers. Uh, but he, so he explained it to me about uh, feathers, and he explained all this deal about a seal and about how Eskimos kill seals, and Becky got all mad about that when I was telling her about them killing them seals. And <laughs> but that's how they do it. But what he, he gave me several scriptures on how the Lord wants to seal people. Okay, And I wanted to read this. Scripture. One of the scriptures he gave me was Song of Solomon 8. It says, Place me like a seal over your heart. Place me like a seal over your heart, being the Lord. Like a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. You know, death is the most demanding thing there is, really, because once a person dies, it takes it all. And that's how powerful love is. It demands all. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters can't quench love. Rivers cannot wash it away. If one were to give all the wealth of his house for love, it would be utterly scorned. And so what Bob was feeling like, because he, he looked at me and he said, that feather was fell at your feet. It didn't fall at my feet. You know. And what he was saying is, the Lord wants to seal people to serve in service. Okay? That's really what he wants to seal people in service. And then later he said, the first service is to serve him and to serve him in worship. That is our first and greatest calling is that we would be, become worshipers. And so what we wanted to do today uh, to close is if you really find a Lord, if you feel in your heart that you want God to, the first service, the most important thing in your life would be to worship him, for God to to seal you for that. That's really what I feel like we're supposed to do. So we're going to just do what he did. He just had people go by him and he just prayed a simple prayer. So what I'll do is I will, I will do that. Okay? You're just, what we, how we would dismiss is you just come up through the middle here and I'll put my hand on your arm and seal you for worship uh, if you want it. And if you would like, and I'll also pray that the Lord will give you that, that wisdom that he wants to deposit into your heart.